Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of With Joy, where we meet successful people in diverse and unique fields across the world. Today I'm talking to Isra Al-Salihi, a New York actress who performed in award-winning, critically acclaimed hits such as Heather Raffo's Noura at the Old Globe and the political thriller The Invaders, screened at over 30 film festivals in the U.S. and internationally, and she received the Best Lead Actress nomination at SSIFF. You may also know her from Arresting God, Another Girl, and Frank in the Gaza, where she received the PCTF Outstanding Supporting Actress Award, and many more. She was a recipient of 24-hour plays, which was previously awarded to Kevin Spacey, Jennifer Aniston, Scarlett Johansson, Chris Rock, and many others. She also performed in Parisian Blues Fantasy, produced by Tony winner Mercedes Ellington. Her TV works includes What Would You Do on ABC, Mysteries at the Museum on the Travel Channel, and Investigation Discovery. You may also recognize her from her voiceover work on the Emmy Award-winning children's animation series Super Wings. Anyways, let's go on and have a chat with her. Hey, Ezra. Thank you so much for joining us on With Joy. How have you been? I've been good, Joy. I mean, as far as you can be during COVID times, I think I've been pretty okay. Oh my gosh, yeah. 2020 has definitely been really rough. I know with you, you are someone who is a rising star within acting, and I really applaud you for being that girl who's getting gigs and getting her life really together and everything. But you know, prior to doing all this acting and theaters, how were you able to, you know, transition into your current career? I wasn't one of those kids who knew at age eight that they were going to be an actor. I would make up songs in the kitchen. I would open up the fridge and dance with the fridge door. And like, I was very much an animated, lively kid. So it should have occurred to me at some point that theater and the arts <laughs> is what I wanted to do. But it took a while before it actually happened. And I remember when I was 12, I had this moment of I was watching Harry Potter and I had this like thing in my gut. I just could feel I didn't know what it was, but I think it was a longing to be a part of that world, to be a part of the, the world of cinema and artistry. And I think actors are wonderfully in the center of it. They get to be a part of everything from the design to the script to the character building. Everything that goes into making film and theater centers in some way around the artists and them telling the stories. So because of that, that was really attractive to me. But I did start out in medical school, like when I was in high school. Wow extra science I was at the uh, the English section so we studied everything in English and I, I got extra math physics chemistry biology and when I graduated right after high school I did a year of, of medical school before I decided to kind of start switching my way and choose a different path I also got like um, a Fulbright scholarship and ended up in in the U.S. for a summer it was a part of this program called European Summer Institute uh, Student Leaders and it uh, an environmental stewardship program. So basically, basically, we learned a lot about the nature in Arizona and Utah and how to conserve nature and, and all sorts of stuff. Then we presented our projects for uh, the Department of State in D.C. Wow. Mm -hmm. Really cool experience. And the first time I ever went to uh, America, and I was only 19 at that time. It would wow. be four years before I officially moved to New York and was kind of staying in America for a while. But that was my first taste of the U.S. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, 
wow, you actually reached medical school and you had a whole year there, yet you decided to you know, move on and do something that you truly loved. So mm-hmm. what was the tipping point on moving on from you know, in the healthcare system to something like theaters or acting? There was something during that time in the US where I just felt like life's too short not to go for what you really want to do. Mm-hmm. never been a person who's been very concerned about finances or anything like that. In a family that was lower lower class, like in, in Sweden, you know, we weren't wealthy in any way. My dad worked, my mom was a school teacher, so we all lived off of our one school teacher salary. So I didn't grow up with a lot of money, but because of that, partly for me is all about following your passion. And I have really great supportive parents who wants their kid to do what they love to do, even if it's scary for them, like they would definitely <laughs> super relaxed about me becoming an actor but they knew that they wanted to let me do what i wanted to do they wanted to support me in that no matter what happens i have to at least give it a go and if i fail that's okay but i have to try i can't live my life without having given it a go and i I was even i remember this day when i was in um i was in in class at, at the medical school in gothenburg they have these like big lecture halls and there's about 120 people in it and i looked around and i knew barely anybody's name and then i remember on the opposite side my first day in acting class uh, and this was for like a course that i took in sweden this was before i moved to new york and it was like 12 people and i walked in and everyone was giving each other massages because i was like a part of the class <laughs> it sounds silly but i was like these are my people like this is what i should be doing <laughs> so that was Kind of the beginning of like what ended up becoming a, a lifelong yeah, career. Yeah, I love that. Oh my god, everyone <laughs> just massaging each other. Wow, what a contrast. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, to be able to do something that you love and never have that feeling of regret, I think really that's so important in life. And your success is not really just measured by achievement; it's also measured by your own happiness and everything. So I think that's definitely something that a lot of people should try to work out in their own lives. In a sense, were you ever someone that came across any sort of challenges or had any difficulties as you tried to transition? Oh, loads, loads of <laughs> issues. I mean, first off, finances was a huge issue, right? Because in Sweden, education is free and I wanted to study in America. When I started drama school, I was 23. So there was four years wow. gap and the first year was I did a drama course in Sweden. Didn't enjoy it. I enjoyed it. I loved the people, but it wasn't for me. And it wasn't giving me the training I needed to succeed, I believe. And then for a year, I ended up going to England. And I lived in Brighton, in, in England, actually, because there was an exchange program between Gothenburg University in my hometown and the University of Sussex in Brighton. Basically, I could study English in Brighton for free. The Swedish government would pay for it because it was technically almost as if you were studying abroad. Um, And I figured, great, because Brighton's 50 minutes by train from London, so I can go and audition and I can do all this stuff. And I'm great with English. My English was already good. So like I knew the classes would be easy. So I could just like use that as an excuse to be closer to a city where I could audition for parts. Because in Sweden, the industry is very small and very selective. Like the people who are in this industry are, it's a lot of nepotism and people stay in the industry for a long time. So I go to Brighton, but I was obviously very naive because one, I didn't have any training as an actor. <laughs> and you have these people who have gone to London, you know, all these schools who are incredible schools and that you know I hadn't done that I ended up getting a job at Theatre Royal Brighton as the front of house staff which was really informative I met a lot of actors through that 
I met Rowan Atkinson, who plays famously Mr. Bean, working at the theater. And I learned a lot about the backstages of the background of theater there. So I did that for a year and then I, and I loved it. I loved living in England. I loved working at that theater, but it occurred to me that I was going to get stuck if I continued like this. Because there were people who had been working at this theater for like 35 plus years and I knew I wanted to go to New York. So I went back home and then I spent about two years or a little, little more than that maybe working four jobs a week and saving to, to go to drama school in New York. And I worked as a clown. I worked at a, um, two call centers wow. and I was a tutor in math and biology. So I definitely did everything I could. And I saved up enough money to pay for my first year of tuition in full. I got basically a loan from the Swedish government. So that was how I was able to pay for my education. And through that loan, I was also able to stay in and contribute for housing and stuff like that. Cause you're not allowed to work. In the US, while you're on a student visa or an F1 visa, as they're also called. So I couldn't have any income to make when I got there. So I knew I would have to work really hard beforehand. At the same time, it also teaches you the value of hard work. And that I remember going to school with a lot of people who had never paid a bill in their life. You're absolutely right when it comes to, you know, that life experience. It's difficult to have when you have parents that are always covering for you. So, you're, you know, maybe in a sense, this was a good opportunity for you to learn and gain that life experience as well. Yeah. So I suppose when you moved to New York, were you able to adapt to the culture and, you know, how did it feel living by yourself and all that? Yeah. I mean, by personality i'm a very adaptive person i can get i can get through pretty much anything but new york was definitely a huge cultural shock and i distinctly remember i think it was like two weeks into me living there on the subway mm-hmm. and that guy he was uh, had like army camouflage gear on these big sunglasses and he was sitting by himself on the train in new york you can kind of tell when someone's a little bit off like there's right. something not quite right then i actually sat myself it was like the only spot that was available on the train but i was new to new york i didn't quite understand it i was like sure the guy looks a little weird but whatever i'll just sit down <laughs> he gets up and he starts pacing up and down the train cart and he sits back down next to me and then goes up and does this again and then all of a sudden he starts yelling and pointing at me saying she has bed bugs she has bed bugs and then he goes around warning people <laughs> who are sitting oh. next to me and around me in the train being like she has bed bugs and they're all like they can tell that oh, he's boy. not quite right so yeah. they're like i'm sure she's fine but this went <laughs> on for like 10 minutes that was definitely one of those moments where i was like i'm done <laughs> New York also was an entire complete mess. It was like one of the worst apartments I've ever lived in. You Nobody knew each other. Like everyone had been rented the room separately from the landlord. And there were this whole floor of drug dealers. The first floor was a drug dealer for sure. They would count the money in the laundry room. Like they had like a whole thing set up. So the first thing I did was become friends with them. I want to be on the side. Oh I'm not doing, I never did anything legal, wouldn't dream of it, but I was like, I am going to be friends with these neighbors because I want them on my side should something go down. Um, <laughs> and then on top of that, a lot of other stuff happened in that apartment. There was, we had like a huge cockroach issue. At one point, the handle on the front door came off and they wouldn't come and fix it. They couldn't come and fix it. So for two days, we were leaving the apartment through the fire escape. Not great. Uh, we had someone break into the apartment. 
on a Tuesday, they tried to break into one of my roommate's room and she had the light on and she was sleeping so they could see her, which was like really scary. And she screamed so loud that they got terrified, I guess. So much, so much stuff has happened in that apartment where like, I don't even, this is not even half of it. (laughs) That was your first year only? My first year in New York. And I still ended up staying six months after that break and I still ended up staying until the end of my lease and... There was so much, there's been so much stuff in that apartment in New York in general that I've just like looking back at it now, I'm like, how did I, how did I get through that? How did I (laughs) not freak out or give up? But that's why I know that I'm a pretty strong person. Like even though I go through a lot of tough times and there's definitely been moments in my life where I've been like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. But I, I remind myself that I'm a tough cookie. I came from a country that's not very like, this would never happen in Sweden. I was thrown into like the wolf that is the city of New York right. and have come out the other end on top. So yeah. Wow. You know, I'm surprised. Your first year and you go through all of that. Holy mm. cow. Oh my goodness. Wait, so I guess before this COVID-19 and everything, did you ever have that moment where you're like, this has been worth it. Absolutely. The biggest one I would say is Nora, which was basically, I did this play at the Old Globe in San Diego, which is one of the biggest, most prestigious uh, regional theaters in America. It's Mm -hmm. a huge theater in San Diego in Balboa Park. So when I graduated Strasbourg, I did this uh, monologue from, you have a conservatory showcase where everyone presents a monologue and a scene. For my monologue, I did this piece from a play called Nine Parts of Desire that's written by Heather Raffo, and it was this big dramatic monologue, and the entire play um, is about nine Iraqi women. Very moving. I would recommend anybody to read it. And so I, I picked it up. I found this play, and I was utterly moved by it. I am Iraqi by heritage. My Both of my parents are Iraqi. And I did it for my conservatory show. It went really well. And then later that same year after graduating, there was a reading being done of one of Heather's new plays, called Nora and it was done at this theater company that's called North Theater which is a big Middle Eastern theater company in New York. There's Mandy Patinkin and Tony Shalhoub are some of the people that are on the board of this and it's great like Tony Shalhoub if you've watched Marvel's Mrs. Maisel he plays mm. the father of the main character. Oh. Um, so anyway Heather Raffa was doing a reading of Nora her play there. Check it out and I even had my copy of Nine Parts of Desire with me. And I looked and then we listened to the play and it was a great, beautiful play. And I went up to Heather afterwards and I told her how much her work meant to me. And I was very genuine, you know, like I told her how right. much her work had meant to me and like what it meant to me as an Iraqi artist and actor and et cetera. Yeah. And she was moved, I guess, as well. So she took my play and she wrote down her phone number, her email, her Facebook. And wow. she was like, having coffee at some point. And so we ended up having coffee and we met maybe once or twice after that. And we kind of kept in touch, emailing here and there, nothing major, never asked her for anything or wanted anything from her. And then we hadn't spoken for a year. All of a sudden I got a message from her on Facebook and and she was like, who's your representation? It's just me. And I gave her my info. And I think a couple weeks after I ended up getting a phone call from this casting director, James Callieri, and he was calling to see if I would come in and audition for this role in Nora. So these casting directors wanted to see me for the Guthrie Theater, for for the Old Globe, a bunch of theaters were doing a play and they all wanted me to come in audition because I'd been recommended by the playwright. Went in audition, I got my call back and I booked the part. And the thing is I only had two days to prepare for this role because they had made a mistake. I think Heather by mistake had given them 
the wrong email. Usually it's about a week before the actual audition, etc. They've called me up and they said, did you get our email? I was like, no, I never got an email. They're like, you want to make an appointment? I was like, yes, yes, yes. And so I ended up having, instead of a week to prepare, two days to prepare. Oh my goodness. Long seven, eight page slides. You have to have an Iraqi accent, which as you can tell, my English doesn't naturally have an Arabic accent or anything, right. you know, anything like that. So I was like, okay, time to hustle. I had two commercial auditions those two days, canceled them. I was like, I don't care about these commercials. So like, I'm just going to go with like my gut and my gut is telling me that this is what I've dreamt of being a part of. And I honestly didn't even really care about whether or not I booked the part. I cared about doing the best I could because it meant so much to me that Heather had taken this chance. She'd never seen me act, so she couldn't t- she wouldn't have known if I was a good actor or not. Right. She just knew me as a person, and, and she put my name forward, and I auditioned, and I did the callback, all of that. Heather was not in the room, so it was all a base of my merit, but I wouldn't have gotten that opportunity if it hadn't been for her. And I prepared, and I prepared like nothing else, and I, I'm telling you, Joy, when I went into that room for that first audition, Usually I'm a very nervous person when it comes to auditions. I hate doing auditions. <laughs> right. When I book a part, I'm confident I'm fine. But up until that point at the audition, it's always horrible. Mm. But for this audition, I didn't. And it was because of there was something in me that just said that this woman, my character, Mariam, she's a part of me. And, and I don't care what anybody else thinks of, of my performance or whatever, but I have the right to tell the story. This is an Iraqi character. Her struggles are the struggles that my parents had to go through. I understand this person. I felt it in my gut. It was almost spiritual. It's like the only way that I can really describe it. And I went in and I loved, absolutely loved the director, Johanna McKeon. It was a very warm, open room. Like I came and I didn't have to feel worried or intimidated. And she kept throwing me directions and I kept taking them and playing around with her. So there was already really good collaborative energy in the room. So yeah, I would say that that was probably one of the things that I felt like when I did get it, I was like, yeah, I deserve this because I really worked hard. <laughs> I really love this part. Maybe we feel connected to it. I'm not one of those actors who's like, yeah, I deserve that. <laughs> like, why do they give this to me? So this, I was definitely like, yes, I feel like I can do this part and, and it's going to be scary. And it was a lot of hard work, right? Like this character goes through everything. A lot of pain, a lot of grief, and a lot of moments where I had to break down and right. having to do that in a show eight times a week. Like when you're doing big houses like the Old Globe and you're doing regional theater, it's eight times a week. So it's tough to be like emotionally connected. And I'm not one of those actors who knows how to fake cry. I have to really be going through what I am showing. I'm very transparent in that sense. So I I really put myself in the place of the character and I'm able to then convey that to the audience. So that experience was really great. They were doing Almost Famous and it had pretty huge Broadway stars in it. And because it was all under the umbrella of the Old Globe, we all lived in the same space. I actually became friends with a lot of the cast from the Old Globe. And there's this great guy, Drew Gerling, who saw my performance as one of the almost famous casts and was really in awe of my performance. And that meant a lot to me because he's a huge Broadway star and he's been on shows like Unbreakable Kimi Schmidt and all this stuff. And he was really complimented of my work. And that felt huge to have someone like that, you know, really get get your work yeah. and one of my closest friends today brandon Contreras, is from that cast is how i met him wow so 
it's been a really, really, really great experience that with that. And then I booked similar roles as well, where it's been mm-hmm. where I'm like, you know what, this is really, I really deserve that too. And yeah, yeah, for sure. I yeah, that's really. You're right. I think that connection you have with the character, you know, if you're able to connect it with your experience, it just makes it so much easier. It's not really acting anymore. It's kind of showing a side of you that you do genuinely believe in. If someone were to go through something similar, I, I wouldn't say they go through what you went through because that's a little wild of a journey. <laughs> But hey, you never know, right? But if someone ever was transitioning into a career for theaters, or even just transitioning into going to a different country to pursue what they love doing as a career, do you have like some sort of main message from all your experiences that you would share to them? I mean, I would say if it's something that you truly believe and truly want to do, don't give up. First off, don't give up. I know that's very like kind of cheesy and sort of like yeah, everybody <laughs> says that, but it's really true. And I and here's the thing: this industry has been it's been really difficult for me, and the journey hasn't been easy. And there's been many times where I was like, is this the right path? Should I be going on this? But At the same time, there's still always been a voice in me that said, "Go on, continue. You know, you can do this." And I think that you have to listen to that. If it's something that you're passionate about, all this stuff like moving to a new country and all that stuff, it seems hard in the beginning. If I can get through what I got through, then you can get through it too. Like you just have to. It's really about stamina. It's really about believing. And about seven months into my OPT, I had just gone through a breakup, my first big like breakup. Yikes! Didn't have a lot of work under my belt. It was just a total mess. I was a total mess. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I got through it by working really hard and just saying to myself, you know what, you're you're scared now, but just go for it. Do the best that you can. And at the end of those five months, I I had. I got what I needed. I looked hopeless, but I ended up booking in those last five months. I ended up booking a film and I ended up booking、um, a play that both ended up getting a lot of critical acclaim. So they got reviews and press. And the short film I did ended up being a part of London Film Festival, which is one of the biggest film festivals in in the world. It's like Cannes or Sundance. It's a big deal, right? Just it's just about being hopeful. And I'm actually also a writer for Backstage Magazine. It's a big platform for casting calls and work. And there's always interviews with A-listers and, and backstage. But what I do for them is I write on international actor issues. So I recently wrote an article that was about all about how to thrive during COVID as an as an artist. So like what you can do to、nice. your community, build your portfolio. During COVID and also beyond COVID, what you can do when things hopefully turn back, go back to normal a little bit. So, for me, it's all about sharing the knowledge and building a community and giving as much as you take. If you get help from others, give that back, pass it forward. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. So, I guess you know to kind of sum it all up,、mm-hmm. if you could teach a fellow actor or actress five tips on how to act better, how would you? What advice would you give them? I would say biggest thing is know that you're enough. Like be yourself.、Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a master yet. Take me.、Uh, but yeah, really being yourself and really putting yourself in that character's、uh, shoes. Not like what do I think this character would act like, but how would I act during these circumstances? Under these circumstances, if I was pregnant, if I was going through yada yada, 
how would I react to the situation and really bringing yourself to it because anything else is going to be a caricature or like, you know, right. and even with, with actors who do character roles, who do these fantastical figures or whatever it is, there's still a part of that character that is uniquely them and has something in them. That's why you can look at someone like William Defoe or, mm. you know, Christopher Walken and be like, oh, that's Christopher. Like there's something that <laughs> they create these incredible characters, but they're uniquely theirs. You, you wouldn't okay. ever be able to see someone else do a character the way that Christopher Walken does it. So I would say just bring yourself to everything that you do is a huge thing. You know, develop early on, like um, try to, I think the more you do it, the better, like small stuff, big stuff, just to get over the fear of auditioning. Because for me, that has been a big thing is being nervous when I go to audition. Right. So doing it often enough actually really helps. For me, at least it's really helped to get over my fears of auditioning and also finding your uh, preparation. Like maybe you need to meditate before you go to an audition. Maybe you need to, you know, whatever it is you need to do to relax, learning those things. And the only way to do it is sort of learning it under fire, under pressure when you have an audition or something like that. So those are some stuff that I would say is really important. We've already touched on it, creating your community, finding the people that you enjoy working with is important as well. That and, and um, just not being afraid is huge. I remember like um, early this past, was this past summer? Yeah, last summer. The same summer that I booked Nora and all this stuff, um, all this stuff happened. And I also had this, I haven't touched on it, but there's this incredible company, a labyrinth theater company that I did a, a free summer intensive with. I auditioned for it and interviewed for it and was part of it. And it was an incredible, incredible experience. I loved, I worked with Stephen Adley Gerges and all these incredible playwrights and teachers. If it's something you really believe in, you really want, then all this housing stuff and moving to a new country, that will figure itself out. You just gotta believe in yourself and also give yourself a break every now and then. You're not gonna be able to be your very best every day. And that's okay sometimes. We gotta give ourselves a break, you know? So yeah. Yeah, thank you so much, Isra. It's been such a pleasure having you. How can our audience reach you? So my website is just my first and last name. So it's Isra, I-S-R-A, El Salihie, which is E-L-S-A-L-I-H-I-E dot com. And then my Instagram is the same. It's Isra, I-S-R-A dot El Salihie, E-L-S-A-L-I-H-I-E. Perfect. Sounds great. Thank you so much. And girl, you got your life together and I'm sure you will do amazing things. I'm so excited to see what the future has in store with you. Thank you so much. You know, the community really benefits when they hear your stories and know that they can also do something similar with their own goals. So thank you so much. It's such an important message to have. Thank you, Joy, for having me. This has been really pleasant. With that being said, remember that happiness is never pre-made for anyone, but is something you must create for yourself. Next week, we'll be having an esthetician who started her own business after several experiences within the healthcare system. Follow us at withjoy underscore podcast on Instagram and withjoypodcast on Facebook. All episodes are released every Wednesday and our YouTube segments are released every Friday. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you all next week.